just in and so good. Thousands of summer deals at your Nordstrom Rack Store. Save up to 60% on new arrivals from Vince, Rag & Bone, Adidas, Joe's, Marc Jacobs, and more. Great brands, great prices every day at Nordstrom Rack. But hurry for first dibs. Get your summer favorites up to 60% off at Nordstrom Rack today. Great brands, great prices. That's why you rack. You like to watch new stuff, right? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new, because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like Vanderpump Villa, the new docudrama starring Lisa Vanderpump, where first-class luxury meets world-class drama. A new season of The Kardashians starring The Kardashians, of course. And Grand Cayman, Secrets in Paradise, the sizzling new reality show set in the tropical Caribbean. It's all new and it's streaming now on Hulu. What in tarnation is Grammar Girl talking about this week? Grammar Girl here. I'm Mignon Fogarty, and you can think of me as your friendly guide to the English language. We talk about writing, history, rules, and other cool stuff. This week, we'll look at the difference between slow down and slow up, and we'll have fun exploring some minced oaths. I love listener questions, and we got an interesting one recently. Hi, Grandma Girl. I wanted to ask a question about the expression slow down. So many years ago, I was watching an episode of the show Comps, and I remember a police officer describing his apprehension of a suspect, and he said that he slowed up. So I'm from the Pacific Northwest, and from the officer's accent, I was sure he was from the East Coast. I understood him as meaning that he slowed down to speak to a person of interest. I've been wondering over the years about the expressions slow up versus slow down. Slow up seems to mean you decrease your speed. Slow down seems to indicate that you're going faster. Slow up seems to make more sense to me than saying slow down if I want to mean that someone is going slower. My question is, is using slowing up to mean slowing down? grammatically incorrect? And if so, why? Thank you so much for all your wonderful work. This is a great question and one that demonstrates why prepositions are so tricky in English and also the use of phrasal verbs. More on that in a second. First, the short answer to the follower's question is no. It's not grammatically incorrect to use slow up to mean slow down. Both are acceptable, but we'll delve into the topic a little further. First, verbs like slow up and slow down are called phrasal verbs, which, as the name implies, are phrases that act like verbs. Phrasal verbs are made up of a verb plus an adverb or a preposition, such as up and down. Phrasal verbs typically mean something other than what you'd guess from the meaning of their parts. For example, the phrasal verb cheer up doesn't mean to shout into the sky. It means to become happier, as in, I hope aardvark cheers up soon. And to look after something doesn't mean to set your eyes on it later. It means to take responsibility for or watch, as in, do you think squiggly would look after my dog while I'm away? But do the phrasal verbs slow down and slow up really mean the same thing? Well, it turns out they do in various dialects of English. The Oxford English Dictionary defines slow down as, quote, to cause something to move or operate more slowly, to decrease the speed or rate of something, 
to make slower, unquote, and slow up as, quote, to decrease in speed, to become less active, lively, or intense, to become slower, unquote. So there's not much difference. The OED provides examples of both phrases dating back to the mid-1800s, which is relatively recent in linguistic terms. In, this, in linguistic terms. And both usages first appeared in the United States. A Google Books Ngram viewer search of both terms shows that they had almost equal usage until about 1900, and then slowed down, began to increase handily, and still holds the top spot. But does that mean slow up is incorrect? Well, not so fast. It's still in use and has been documented in recent years in the OED entries mentioned before. A search on the Quora word reference and high native online forums shows that most people agree that both slow down and slow up are acceptable, but they don't necessarily agree on where each is more common. Some people seem to think that slow up is more of a British usage, but there are just as many sources online that refute that. Several people do say that slow up is used more in the southern U.S., and one word reference commenter suggested that slow up might be related to pulling up on a horse's reins to get it to slow down or stop. It makes sense, but there's no documented proof of that. So it seems that both are universally synonymous. But hold up! Are there other phrasal verbs similar to slow down and slow up? Well, hold up is also used and is defined by Wiktionary and other sources as an informal or slang usage, meaning to wait or delay, as in, hold up a minute, I want to check something. And to highlight how phrasal verbs can have multiple meanings that can make them even more confusing for people learning English, hold up also means to rob at gunpoint, as in, someone held up the bank today. And it also means to endure or keep it together, as in, the teller is holding up pretty well, considering. And to call out as an example, as in, the teller did everything right. I'm sure management will hold her up as an example of how to stay safe during a robbery. Finally, it's not just slow that can combine with up or down to mean virtually the same thing. Here are a couple of other examples of this phenomenon. To be down for something and to be up for something, as in, do you want to go dancing tonight? Yeah, I'm down for that. Or, yeah, I'm up for that. And close up and close down. How late are you open? We close up at nine. Or, we close down at nine. Well, close down may also have the connotation of closing something more permanently, as in, the neighborhood carnival closes down this week until next summer. So as you can see, loyal listener, phrasal verbs can be amazingly flexible and overlapping. That officer on cops did not steer you wrong. Good for you for slowing down or slowing up and noticing this detail. That segment was written by Susan Herman, a former U.S. government multidisciplined language analyst, analytic editor, and instructor. 
Don't just ride the index. Seek to outperform it with Fidelity Active ETFs. Learn more at fidelity.com slash active ETFs. Before investing in any exchange-traded fund, you should consider its investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Contact Fidelity for a prospectus, an offering circular, or if available, a summary prospectus containing this information. Read it carefully. While active ETFs offer the potential to outperform an index, these products may more significantly trail an index as compared with passive ETFs. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC, member NYSE, SIPC. Remember the frustration of trying to memorize vocabulary and grammar rules only to find you couldn't actually use the language in real life? Well, there's a better way to learn. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program with millions of users learning 25 different languages, and you can get it on your desktop or as an app on your phone or tablet. Rosetta Stone immerses you in many ways with its intuitive process. It's really different. You pick up the language naturally, first with words, then with phrases, and then with sentences. Plus, with Rosetta Stone's true accent feature, you'll get feedback on how well you're pronouncing words. It's like having a personal trainer for your accent. Don't put off learning that language. There is no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Grammar Girl listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Is it rosettastone.com slash grammar. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash grammar today. Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions. This next segment is by linguist Kirk Hazen. So when you hear the word I, that means him. And it contains some very mild swearing. What in tarnation is tarnation? Why do people in old books exclaim zounds in moments of surprise? And what could a professor of linguistics possibly have against duck-loving crickets? I'll get to the crickets later, but what unites all these expressions is a desire to find acceptable versions of profane or blasphemous words. God becomes gosh, hell becomes heck, and damnation becomes tarnation. In a similar vein, the rather antiquated phrase, God's wounds, turns into zounds. This lexical skirting of religious sensitivities falls in the category of expressions known as minced oaths. They're a kind of euphemism, an indirect expression substituted to soften the harsher blow of the profane. As a lifelong student of language, I celebrate the variation of minced oaths and delight in comparing them with other euphemisms and slang. They provide examples of how people craft language to simultaneously conform and rebel while building social cohesion. Both slang and minced oaths are forms of synonyms, words used to replace other words conveying the same core meaning. 
But minced oaths have historically performed a very specific role, providing a weakened but socially acceptable form of an actual religious oath, swear, or curse. The earliest use of the term minced oaths, according to the Oxford English Dictionary, was 1654, when elders in the Banshire area of Scotland were criticized for using them. But the use of them had been around for at least a century before then. The playwright Christopher Marlowe used zounds as early as 1593 as an exclamation. Zounds! He'll raise up a kennel of devils! The term bloody was first recorded as the British now use it in 1540, and originally had no religious connotation. It was only centuries later that it was ascribed one, potentially standing in for by her lady and God's blood, and thus becoming somewhat of an adopted minced oath. The compound gadzooks, perhaps from God's hooks, makes a written appearance in the second half of the 1600s, in a play by the Irish writer Thomas Duffett. Now to get off, gadzooks, what shall we do? Surprisingly, gosh and heck are latecomers. Gosh doesn't show up until 1757, and heck is an interjection only takes off at the end of the 19th century. Up until the late 1800s, the most common expletives in English had some kind of biblical reference. But as Melissa Moore explored in her History of Swearing, Holy SH Asterisk T, these blasphemous oaths started declining in the 1700s and gave way by 1900 to profanity based on physical attributes and functions, body parts, sex, and excrement. Moore links this change to the decline of the Christian church as a central power broker in people's lives. As Moore writes, quote, obscenities took the place of vain oaths to become our swear words, unquote. With this transition, the impact of minced oaths waned from the tantalizingly close to the profane to mere humorous airs with a knowing wink. It's one thing to earnestly swear, Begora, by God, I will not fail, and another to have Gomer Pyle from The Andy Griffith Show humorously exclaim, Golly, when something surprises him. While some minced oaths have persisted, one even becoming part of a popular hat-wearing dog meme, with a skeptical-looking Shiba Inu in a cowboy hat saying, What in tarnation? Many have fallen from common usage. Others have slipped from being seen as profane to become simply mild expressions like Sam Hill for hell. Either way, minced oaths live on, getting recycled or created anew today to provide humor or a range of emotional force. Using fudge after a paper cut allows for restrained fist shaking at the universe. And if family and friends can settle on the same minced oaths, they can better commiserate with their own in-group slang. Meanwhile, minced oaths based on modern sexual swearing can be all kinds of fun. On the popular NBC series The Good Place, a popular running gag with a possible wink to the censors, is that characters are unable to utter obscenities. When they try, they end up saying fork, shirt, or bench instead of, well, you can use your imagination. With enough exuberance thrown behind these terms, residents of The Good Place can draw humor from the contrast with the profanity viewers anticipate.
Similarly, the Irish TV show Father Ted, which follows a trio of Catholic priests exiled on a fictional island off Ireland, employed feck as a regular part of the dialogue. The pure exuberance and frequency of its use by characters creates the comedy. The popularity of these shows fostered an uptick in the use of these minced oaths as people put their comedic effect to work in their own lives. But sometimes defanging profanity just doesn't quite hit the mark. In her research on swearing, Emma Byrne, author of Swearing is Good for You, finds that the frisson of taboo is required for the therapeutic qualities of swearing, like pain relief. As Byrne reports, learning swear words early on in one's native language has measurable physiological effects. Cursing helps relieve pain, raises the pulse, and sharpens the memory. Yet minced oaths provide some degree of power and latitude at times of social control. For instance, before the Quiet Revolution, the Quebecois French created a set of words called sac to defy the Catholic Church. People began to use words associated with church rituals as exclamations and interjections. With some slight modifications, words like tabernacle, the place in a church where items of the Eucharist are held, are used in place of a profanity in Quebecois French. For example, after your favorite team loses again, you could shout tabarnak and corn defait, or for a gentler profanity, tabarnouche or barnak can be used. Because minced oaths allow for a small scream into the void while avoiding taboo words, parents are often avid fans. Some families pass them along like heirlooms. My family inherited Holy Cow and Heavens to Betsy from my grandparents. When I became a parent, I shifted my own swearing, and somehow I landed on variations of duck-loving crickets. Perhaps phonetic similarities to actual profanities or the intonational cadence qualified them as somehow forceful yet also purposefully missing the mark. My daughter rejected mine, but adopted shiitake mushrooms as her exclamation, drawing out the first syllable. You see, there's always room for more in the mixed bag of minced oaths. That segment was by Kirk Hazen, a professor of linguistics at West Virginia University. It was originally published on The Conversation and appears here under a Creative Commons license. Finally, I have a Familect story. Hi, Grandma Girl. This is Anthony from Macedon, New York. Love your show. Really enjoy listening to the podcast. Wanted to share a fun family from our family. My six-year-old son, Caden, or then six-year-old son, Caden, uh, one night after reading his stories, asked for a cup of night water. And at first, my wife and I thought that was a little bit strange, a little bit funny. Uh, he had a little smirk on his face. Uh, but he was just asking for a glass of, uh, of water before we went to bed. And from then on, uh, it became a little family act for us that he asks for a cup of night water uh, before he goes to bed. So it's just something we call that as well now and uh, thought I'd share. Thanks so much for your program. Uh, love listening to it. Have a great day. Thanks, Anthony. You won't believe this. My editor, Adam Cecil, who you hear me mention at the end of every podcast, has a blog called Nightwater and an Instagram account dedicated to nothing but Nightwater memes. 
I was not aware of these memes, and I'm sure you and Caden weren't either, but apparently talking about how water tastes better in the middle of the night is a whole internet thing. Adam says Caden was definitely ahead of his time, as that night water will certainly hit different. (laughs) Thanks for the call. If you want to share the story of your family act, a word your family and only your family uses, call the voicemail line at 833214GIRL. That number is in the show notes, and be sure to tell me the story behind your family act, because that's always the best part. Grammar Girl is a quick and dirty tips podcast. Thanks to our audio engineer, Nathan Sims, and our director of podcasts, Adam Cecil. Thanks also to our digital operations specialist, Holly Hutchings, our marketing associate, Davina Tomlin, and our ad operations specialist, Morgan Christensen, who's the youngest of three children. And I'm Mignon Fogarty, better known as Grammar Girl. That's all. Thanks for listening. Meet Gail. Her thing is being a supermom, and supermom has a lot on her supersized plate. (laughs) Ain't that the truth. But at Walmart Pharmacy, Supermom recently got her whole family updated on all their vaccines. We knocked it out during a grocery run. No appointment. That's Next Level Supermom. From pneumonia to shingles, HPV, and more, get no-cost vaccinations from an expert pharmacist where you already shop. Welcome to an easier pharmacy. Welcome to your Walmart. $0 copay with most insurances. State age and health restrictions may apply. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com.